Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. And then today, after a couple-week break, we are back in the book of Galatians. So you can open, if you have your Bible or pull up your phone or whatever, we're going to be in Galatians. We're hitting the tail end of chapter 5 and then going several verses into chapter 6. And this morning, I'm going to have Alan and Yvonne come up, who are normally sitting back there uh, doing the sound for... Oh, <laughs> he's going to come up and read uh, the passage for us. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you are spiritual, sh- should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law, the law of Christ. <laughs> For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Alan Vaughn. All right. Well, if you were here with us last week, it was Easter. Uh, It was a wonderful time. We had waffles and lattes, and I wish we could have those every week, but... We don't have them this week, but what we do have for you, of course, are donuts in the back and uh, really good drip coffee back there, so I'd love for you to join us back uh, there. And we are back in Galatians, and now it's we've been out of it for three weeks, so we did something different on Palm Sunday as well as on Easter, and so let's remind ourselves what Galatians is about. Galatians really is about the gospel, the gospel of grace. It's an exposition of the gospel message. And what's really important and interesting to remember, too, is who this letter was written to. This letter, written by Paul, was written to a church, written to Christians. So here we have an explanation of the gospel. And you might think, oh, it's going to be written to non-Christians. And yet here it is written to Christians, to a church. Who needs to remember the gospel the most and be reminded of it? It's Christians. It's us, right? We need the gospel. And previously, we had looked at how our sinful flesh, that is the residue of our our sinful nature before we knew Christ, drags us towards destruction, while life in the Spirit leads to fruit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, 
self-control, faithfulness, thank you. They're all there. Uh, you can look it up if you want. Um, and Paul's reminder was for us to crucify the flesh and keep in step with the Spirit, live by the Spirit, have a walk by the Spirit. And one of the biggest markers of those who are led by the Spirit is how they treat other people. And I was listening to a, a sermon this week, and the preacher was saying, you know you're out of step with the gospel when your relationships suffer. And I was like, oh man, that's harsh. Right? You know you're out of step as a Christian. You're out of step with the gospel, not in step with the spirit when your relationships begin to suffer. And I think that for us, that's, that's turning the lens on our relationships that are closest to us, right? It's not really the relationships with your tax man, although at this time of year, I hope it's good. But this is the relationships with your spouse, your mom, your dad, your siblings, your kids, right? We know we're out of step with the gospel when those are suffering. And in the same way, we saw that the works of the flesh, which many are listed in chapter 5, are primarily relational failures. They're relational failures in our life. If we're out of step with the Spirit, if we're following the flesh, we're going to experience relational failure. We need the gospel. Today, our attention is, is turned to what walking by the Spirit is going to practically looks like in the life of the believer, what it practically looks like. And our passage looks at how we should treat one another and how we should not treat one another as well. It's the practical outflow of walking in step with the Spirit, of walking with the Spirit. And in that sense, our passage, our passage today shows us what it means to be spiritual. In fact, Paul uses that very word spiritual in verse 1 in the first section that we're going to look at. Now, there, there's going to be a lot of things people think about that you think about when I say the word spiritual. Oh, somebody's so spiritual. They're so spiritual, right? Everything from somebody raising their hands in worship to somebody with wind chimes and a Zen garden at their house, right? That term is pretty broadly used. But if we look at Scripture, if we look at the Bible, we see that term is primarily applied within the context of relationships, context of relationships. And this really shouldn't be a surprise to us because God has a lot to say on the subject in his book about relationships. Think of all those one another passages in the Bible, right? Good relationships are a part of his design for human flourishing. Good relationships are a part of his design for human flourishing. Not only that, how we treat others, especially how we treat each other as, as Christians, is a part of our witness to a dying world. John 13 says, by, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yes, being a, a spiritual person, being led by the Spirit, really means to have and experience healthy and fruitful relationships. But there's a problem. There's a problem. This is really hard. <laughs> Relationships are hard. People are hard. And it's maybe the most difficult thing about walking through life. Life would be so much easier if people weren't involved, right? In many ways. You know, you think of those like apocalypse movies and some guy wakes up from a coma. 
and he finds himself, he's the only one around, and everyone's gone, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, half of me says, you know what, that doesn't sound that bad, right? But then I remember, no, wait, that's not right, right? Think of back in the book of Gal- in Genesis, in Genesis where God is creating things, and he says, this is good, and it is good, it is good, and then he gets to man and creates man and says, it is not good that man should be alone. We were created to be in relationship. But it's hard, right? Relationships are hard. But when we walk by the Spirit, when we have life in the Spirit, we experience relational wholeness and goodness as God intended for us. And we know this, right? We know how a good relationship can be like a glass of cold water on a hot day, right? But we can also affirm that a sour relationship can just suck the joy right out of life, right? It can be so hard. But God cares about this. He gave us his spirit. When we walk by the spirit, we get to experience human flourishing through healthy relationships with one another. Verse 25, which we, were, which we looked at three weeks ago, said if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. The verses today that we're going to hone in on show how that life in the Spirit are going to transform our relationships, transform our, our relational life. And you'll notice that our section today kind of jumps over that, that chapter uh, break. That's really because the thought for today's message begins in verse 26 for us. Uh, so that's a really long intro. So let's look at verse 26, though. Uh, let's, it says, verse 26 of chapter 5, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. First, before we even get to, see how, get to how we treat other people, we need to address how we view ourselves. Right? Paul's first, first comment is, let us not become conceited. That's a view about ourselves. This, this sounds counterintuitive, right? This sounds counterintuitive, but healthy relationships with others can only be achievable through a correct view of who we are. Paul uses that term conceited, which in the Greek really means uh, to think, thinking about ourselves in the wrong way. Thinking about ourselves in the wrong way. It's having a, a false view of ourselves, one that is not true. And Paul highlights two ways in which we can have a false view of ourself. The outcome of these two ways, these two false views of ourself, is one, we provoke one another. Two, we envy one another. To provoke someone is to challenge them. It's us thinking so highly of ourselves that we want to prove it to other people. So we challenge them. We're looking for a chance to establish our superiority so we look for opportunity to exert our so-called greatness over someone else. We believe we're better, and we want to prove it. No, 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 we, we need to prove it to the other person, right? It's, it's me brashly correcting my wife on some trivial fact, trying to prove that I'm smarter. No, 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 Brooke. It's pronounced espresso, right? 
or it's me listening to someone tell me of their sweet family vacation they went on last week, and my immediate response is to one-up them with my vacation that was so much better and so much more epic, and check out my pictures on Instagram and all that. You know, never mind that it was just to Bakersfield or whatever, but, right, that's my heart, my wicked heart. And maybe slimiest of all, it's, it's that false humility that we spout out as a challenge to those around us. Is who can be the most humble in this room? Surely you're not as humble as I am, right? All of this is due to a false view of myself, a prideful view that has to challenge others to assert my superiority. It's my flesh, always wanting to be acknowledged. It's having too high a view of myself. Thinking myself as a better-than-you person, or, or worse, in a, in a church context, it's a holier-than-thou Christian. But, gospel, but a gospel-centered view of myself tells me that I am far worse than I can ever imagine, but far more love than I could ever hope or dream of. And it's that first part that, I, that I'm far worse than I can ever imagine that, that I've forgotten when I have this conceited, this false view that provokes other people. I've failed to ground my identity in the gospel. The other way we can have a false view of ourselves leads to envying one another. When we provoke others, it's because we think too highly of ourselves when we envy one another, it's because we have too low a view of ourselves, right? A superiority complex and an inferiority complex. It's thinking less of ourselves. And this is not to be confused with humility, which is a gospel characteristic. Humility is often defined as not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. But this, this is envying one another happens because we feel like we feel like we have no value ourselves. With no self-worth, we, we envy what others have. We envy each other's gifts or achievement. And it leads us to resentment. Look at him. He always gets the promotion. I'm never going to be appreciated like that at work. Wow, look at, look at their house. Look at their kids. Look at their job. I'm never going to be like that. It leads to resentment. We think we are less than people, or worse, we think we are less than Christians. Again, I failed to ground my identity in the gospel, the gospel that says I'm far worse than I can ever imagine, but far more love than I could ever hope or dream. And it's that second part I forgot, right? If pride made me forget that first part that I'm far worse, well, then self-loathing will make me forget that I am far more loved than I could ever hope or dream. Both false views, inferiority or superiority, look for our value through comparison. Comparison of our performance. Right? We, we're trying to find identity in what we do. I can do better things than other people, therefore I am better. Or I can't do anything as good as this person, therefore I am not as good as this person. Comparison. Gospel identity doesn't look to what we do to give us identity, but rather who we are, wicked yet loved. A paraphrase of this verse could be, let's not compare ourselves with each other, 
Don't let how you view yourself make you despise others or resent others. Because we know what a robber of joy comparison is, don't we? We know what a robber of joy comparison is. It's that two-edged sword that cuts you whether you look at somebody who has more than you or has less than you. We don't look at others for for our identity. We look to Jesus. Tim Keller said about this passage that in both cases, you are focusing heavily on how the other person makes you look and feel instead of how you make he or she look and feel. You're deriving your worth at the expense of others, not from God. This is not a gospel spirituality. The gospel changes this. The gospel changes this. It it gives us a right view of ourselves. This is the freedom that we've been talking about, a freedom from comparison, right? How good is that to freedom from always comparing ourselves to other people? And as we go on, what we see is that a, a gospel spirituality is governed not by rivalry with others, but with service, but with service. If your eyes go back to to chapter 5 and you look at verse 15, it talks about how we interact with others apart from the Spirit. It says, uh, um, but if you bite and devour one another, devour one another, if we're devoid of the Spirit, if we're not walking with the Spirit, our inclination is to devour one another. But life in the Spirit leads to serving one another. I love that contrast there. With the gospel, our heart is led to serve one another. A gospel-centered view of ourselves leads us to care for other people. We're not trying to prove ourselves to others or disdain them for what we don't have. We value other people. Because as Christians, we can say together that we, all of us, are far worse than we could ever imagine, but far more loved than we could ever hope or dream. We're simultaneously wicked, yet loved. With our identity gospel-oriented, we are in a place to humbly and gently help other people. Paul calls this bearing one another's burden in in verse 2 of chapter 6. And and think of the assumption behind this phrase of uh, asking, telling Christians to bear one another's burden. There's really two assumptions behind this phrase. One is that we all have burdens, And the second one is that Christ doesn't want us to bear them alone. We all have burdens. The burdens of worries of the world, temptations, of doubts, fear, even practical needs that we have. These are the burdens that we are weighed down with. And we're not to assume that bearing burdens on our own is some sign of strength or even someone who is spiritual who doesn't need help from other people. Our passage here and others throughout Scripture show us that burden sharing is a part of the human experience God has for us. And some might be thinking, well, wait wait a minute. Doesn't Christ bear our burdens for us? Why do we need others? Isn't Christ enough? You're probably thinking of passages like Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor, or all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or Psalm 55, 22, which says, Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. Yes, we can cast all our anxiety on him, and he alone, he alone can bear our sin and guilt. 
But one of the ways he bears our worries, doubts, anxieties, etc., is through the family of God that we've been brought into. Think about that. The family of God that we've been brought into. God, who has such concern for relational flourishing in our lives, helps us bear our burdens by giving us a family to share it with. Paul reminds us of this familial aspect in how he starts uh, chapter 6 and even ends chapter 6, as we'll get into in the uh, next week. But he says, brothers. Now, my Bible says brothers here with a little footnote that says the translation really means brothers and sisters. Your Bible might say brothers and sisters, might say brethren. Uh, look at the very beginning of verse, uh, sorry, excuse me, chapter 6. In the very end of chapter 6, he, he bookends this by saying brothers and sisters, a reminder that we are in a family. That we are in a family. In God's sovereignty, one of the reasons we are brought into a family as Christians is to share our burdens one, uh, one with another. When you, when you think of trying to move something heavy, right, you, you get the idea. You can picture a friend coming over to help. You get the idea of burden sharing. Uh, my wife and I, we've been remodeling our hall bathroom for the last year or whatever. Um, and recently we had to move in this, this big double vanity, you know, with a heavy old top. And um, I'm staring at this thing in my garage thinking there's no way. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And my neighbor uh, comes over, who's, you know, 20-something. I was like, this guy's perfect. Um, <laughs> comes over to help me lift this burden and move it in. And just that imagery of thinking, man, if I had tried to move this thing by myself, I would have been crushed, right? It would have crushed me. But having somebody else to come share the load, to bear the burden with me, made it manageable. Got it in the bathroom. It made it manageable. Sharing the the burden of our anxiety or worry or fear, it's is often to, to just listen, right? It's to listen to people, to feel what they're feeling. And this is an, it's an active listening, right? You know what this is, right? It's not just sitting there and being quiet, it's actively listening to people. It's an attempt to understand with empathy the sorrow they might be experiencing, right? Even that word understand means to stand under with somebody, right? Under a burden with somebody. Many of us can affirm this. You know, when we have a, a friend who, uh, who comes to, to listen as we just share our, our hurt or our worry going on, and they just listen, they're not doing anything to practically help us in our situation our debt might be the same or we still might be sick, but we just feel so much better being able to share it with somebody, a close friend, right? We get that feeling of burden sharing. We get that load lifted off and just sharing with one another, even though if practically our situation hasn't changed. And I've seen it here in this church. I've seen it here at Olive Branches. I've seen home groups rallying around those who are sick and convalescing to, yes, even help them practically, but also just to be there for them, right? It's a card in the back or whatever. It's members who through their own networks are calling each other and asking, how can I pray for you? How's it going? Right? It's people getting together to share life with one another. And in doing so, verse 2 tells us, we fulfill 
the law of Christ. We fulfill the law of Christ. This is the kind of the same phrase uh, as seen in chapter 5, a few verses back in verse 14, where Paul says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We must be ready to share the burden of others. And we must be humble enough to also accept the help of others. If we reject the help of others because, because of our pride, we're denying the blessing God would have for us, but we're also denying the blessing for them as well as God would have us, according to his sovereignty, share one another's burdens. And if you think you're too good to help others or to receive help, Paul has something to say about that. He says, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is really nothing, he deceives himself. Right? There's this strange dichotomy in the Christian faith where we are nothing and yet loved and find our identity in Christ. But none of us are too good to help others or to receive help. Again, we see that a, a false view of ourself, right? that we're, that we're some, I'm somebody, I'm pretty, pretty awesome, right? That false view of myself influences and taints our relationships with others, and we deceive ourselves. Again, we fall into comparison. We aren't thinking of what God has for us, what he's calling us to. We're too busy looking at other people and seeing what they got or what they don't have. This is what Paul's talking about in verses 4 and 5. He says, Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Paul is talking about being mindful of what God has called you to, gifted you with. We each bear responsibility to to use the gifts and the talents and the treasure that God has given us individually. I can't compare my call in life to that of my brother because it's totally different, right? He has his own gifting that he will be responsible for. And God has given me a responsibility to lead the life that he has for me. Paul says in verse 5, that each will have to bear his own load. Now, this load, that term, is different than the burden we saw in verse 2. It's different in the original language, too. It's, it's, it's more of a backpack. It's an individual responsibility, right? It's an individual responsibility that we are all accountable to. Not only do we each have our own set of talents, our own spheres of influence, our own resources that are unique to us, but God has also gifted us with something that no one else has that is completely different from everyone else, and that's opportunity. Each of us have our own unique opportunity, and the Bible tells us to make the best use of our time, to not be foolish, but to understand what God's heart is for us. You will have, un you will have unique opportunities to reveal God's kingdom that no one else will have, right? Maybe that's a certain, certain relationships through your work network or your family network. But don't miss the chance to share the love of Jesus with those around you, to be a blessing to those around you, to shoulder the weight one with another. And in doing so, and in bearing one another's burdens, we're not to be 
so prideful that we cannot help or receive help. But when we, sh- when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love one another. And if we go back just a few verses, back to verse 1, Paul gives us a little case study of this happening in verse 1. Let me read it for us. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When we have a a gospel-renewed view of ourselves, that we are, are wicked yet loved, then we can help others who need to be restored. And just a few thoughts on this. this. First of all, this is a word on Christians helping Christians. It's not you pointing out some immoral behavior in your unbelieving neighbor. That often is not helpful at all. I love how one pastor puts it. Non-Christians need Christ, not correction. Here the idea is helping another Christian, right? Remember, brothers and sisters. A Christian helping another Christian with a blind spot. And it's not pouncing on them for a, a single sin, right? We have that friend. It's not helpful at all. It's really the, it's, and it's not even the idea of, of a Christian who is an, aware of a sin issue and working on it. Here the idea is something that's a repeated behavior that they are blind to, a blind spot. And from this verse, we see that there is, there's a way that this needs to be done. First of all, what we do at first, the goal is always restoration. The goal is always restoration. It's not to point out sin, but it's to restore that brother or sister, to lead them on to back to the right path, right? Pointing out sin would just be provoking them. and we, That's not what it's about. The concern is for that person in their relationship with Jesus. It's not to feel better about ourselves. You know, that, that word restore there is, is used like to, to set a bone back, a broken bone, to set it back. There's a lot of richness in that, right? If you think about that, to set a bone that's been, been out of place. If you've broken a bone, you know about this, right? You need to set it back in place in order for it to heal. It can be painful sometimes. And as soon as it's set back, it's not immediately fixed. There's, a, there's still a time of healing. But even that imagery of, you know, oftentimes the doctors say this. You can verify it later. But that the bone grows back stronger, right? And my son broke, my son broke his leg when he was, uh, gosh, I don't even know, like three years old or something like that. Um, but now, you know, he claims it's his, that's why he's so strong, he tells me, because it's grown back stronger need the doctors to verify this later. <laughs> uh, but I love that imagery of a broken bone being set back, right? It's a painful process sometimes, definitely. Time, and sometimes it takes healing, a time of healing. It's not immediately set back. But the goal is restoration. We can also see who is to do this. It's, it's a spiritual person. This doesn't mean somebody who's perfect, right? There's no one, no such person. And it's especially not someone who thinks they're perfect either. It's, it's someone whose identity is grounded in the gospel, who recognizes they are a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner, but I'm loved by God. And listen, this is, this is Paul saying this really should be all of us. He's not saying this should be 
some elite group of Christians in the church who can go around restoring people. No, he said, this should be all of us. We all have the Spirit of God in us, right? We should all be the spiritual person that can lead this person back to the right path. But Paul warns us that we should be aware of our own proclivity for, for blind spots, Paul warns us to watch out because we need to remember, too, that we have blind spots that we don't see. So he warns us, watch out. Don't be tempted. And the last thing is, is how do we do this? We do this with gentleness. Remember, that's one of the, the fruit of the Spirit that we looked at several weeks ago. Gentleness. It's humility working through love, all for the sake of the other person to be restored. It's remembering the gospel that we are far more sinful than we can imagine, but far more love than we could ever hope or dream. We remember the first part for ourselves and the second part for those that we wish to restore. This is, this is what it means to be spiritual, to love one another, right? To share burdens with one another, to help one another, to restore one another. When we walk by the Spirit, we get to experience human flourishing through healthy relationships, one with another. The fruit of the Spirit are not for ourselves, but for others. The gospel saves us from works-based righteousness, but it does not render our behavior meaningless. How we treat one another has implications, right? Poor decisions and behavior will, will resort in, result in consequences. We have a, a lot of ways we, we talk about this, right? It'll come back to bite you. You mess with the bull, you get the horns, now, what goes around comes around. But this is how God made life to work. You reap what you sow. This is what we read in Scripture. You reap what you sow. The Bible teaches this universal moral truth throughout its pages. If your relationship with others is driven by your sinful flesh, you're going to have to deal with those consequences because actions have consequences. We are trying to teach our kids that actions have consequences, and they still don't understand that simple basic law, right? Oh, it's not getting through to them. I don't know at what age you start to think and remember that what I do will matter, but it is not, we haven't reached it yet. I don't know what it is. You know, if I tell my kids, hey, if you decide not to bring a jacket, you're going to be cold. Of course, 10 minutes later, dad, you bring my jacket? Uh, if you eat a bunch of donuts after church, you're going to have a tummy ache. Dad, my tummy hurts. Uh, I don't know. I know you're not supposed to say, I told you so. But it's so hard sometimes, isn't it? But of course, we do the same thing, right? We do the same thing. If we act as if the consequences somehow don't matter to us or we just refuse to even think about them, but we reap what we sow. If you break people's trust, they're not going to want to trust you. If you sin against your body, if you consume a bunch of junk food and alcohol in excess, you're going to reap poor health. If you sin against others, you'll experience broken relationships, it's the harsh reality that sin makes things fall apart in our world. Sin leads to destruction. And what we're talking about is different than Christ's forgiveness of sin. It's not the same. Yes, there is forgiveness of sin, but God doesn't necessarily remove the consequences of sin in our life. God will forgive you, and he may heal you. If you ate bacon for lunch for the last 20 years of your life and jacked up your heart, God could heal it, but it's called a miracle. 
right? Like it's God working outside of the natural way things work. Because the standing code is you reap what you sow. The one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction, Paul says. This is the moral law of the universe. One, uh, one commentator says this. This is the moral law of the universe. If we break it, we may be forgiven, but nonetheless, we break it at our peril. Paul warns us again not to deceive ourselves and thinking somehow we can escape it. He says, God is not mocked. God is not fooled by us. We may think, oh, I did this or that, and, and no one caught me. Nothing happened. God didn't send lightning down to strike me at that moment. But beware, God is not one to sneer at with contempt. He is the God Almighty. What a powerful name it is, right? We often talk about reaping and sowing in terms of sowing bad seeds and reaping a, a harvest of destruction. But the principle of reaping and sowing applies to sowing good seeds and reaping a good harvest. You take care of your body. You eat right. You exercise. You'll have good health. You sow into your marriage. It will flourish. Paul gives us an example of this in verse 6. Let me read it for you. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In this phrase, to share all good things almost certainly means uh, financial support for those who are teaching. Paul's reminding us that those who faithfully teach the word are deserving of being supported financially. But, be, but seen within the context, this whole passage context of family and relationship, it's a reminder against a, a consumerist attitude where we treat our giving to charity or our tithing like a payment for goods received, right? It's that old joke about waiting until the end after the sermon to give your tithing based upon how good it was or how poor it was. You know, oh, that's like a, maybe 10 cents. I don't know. But instead, Paul seems to have in mind a, a mutual fellowship and sharing of gifts that God has given each. One shares the fruit of their labor with the other. For one, the study and learning of one is given and the finance of the other. Paul also gives us another example of sowing and reaping in verse 9. Jump down to verse 9. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Another example of sowing and reaping. And I think Paul here, Paul recognizes that loving others can be tiring, right? Do not grow weary. It can make us weary. Caring for others, loving for others, emotionally weary for sure, sometimes physically weary, but we're not to give up. We are in need of that encouragement. Paul reminds us that doing good will yield a return. Now, of course, that's, that's a very broad term, right? Doing good doing good to others. It's intentionally broad, but I think by now we should have an idea of what that means. It means thinking of others, not through the lens of our own insecurity, but through the lens of the gospel. It's caring for them according to their needs, not our own needs. In a word, it's love, right? It's not sharing the gospel with someone for the sake of our conscience, but out of love of someone who's trapped in their sin, telling them about Jesus. It's not caring for someone with the hope of getting something back in return. It's serving one another out of love, 
and recognition of the great love we've all been shown by the Father. And Paul says, we will, in due season, reap. Reap what? Well, actually, I don't know. (laughs) But don't worry, I'm not the only one. Commentators say, they also note that Paul doesn't really specify, right, what we will reap here. He kind of leaves us to guess. Perhaps the vagueness of this is due to the great number of ways the great number of ways as this could look in each of our lives. And of course, in the short run, we might experience that that weariness that Paul talks about and need encouragement, feeling emotionally defeated as we walk with someone who's experiencing mental health, the loss of career we might experience because of, of relational obligations we have. But Paul hints at a great reward for those who do not grow weary in doing good. A harvest to be had even when things externally don't look all that bright in our lives. In all of this, everything everything that we've talked about this morning is summed up in verse 10. Verse 10 of our passage says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In this verse, we see the responsibility each of us have to utilize the opportunities that we've been given, the gifts that we've been given. We see how God wants to use us in this world to show his great love by doing good to everyone. We see the whole of the law summed up in loving our brothers and sisters, our family. And ultimately, all of this, loving others, bearing one another's burdens, following God's will for our life, is only possible because of of God's Spirit, a life lived in step with the Spirit. It is a life lived in step with the Spirit that these things flow from. I know I cannot love my brothers and sisters as God intends apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in me because I'm too selfish. (laughs) We can do good because God has done good to us by giving us his spirit. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, it's better that I go, the Holy Spirit may come. We can bear each other's burdens because Jesus has borne the ultimate burden of our sin on his shoulders. We can make the most of the, t- of the time that we have because we have the Holy Spirit to lead us moment by moment. I can only have a right view of myself through the lens of the gospel, which says that I am crazy wicked, but loved like crazy. Right? So much so that that God did not leave me on my own. He did not leave me on my own to experience broken relationships after broken relationships, but he sent himself, he sent his Holy Spirit to help me, to guide me, to empower me, to lead me, to show me what it is to have a right relationship with others. When we have the Holy Spirit leading us, we experience relational wholeness and goodness. It's a part of God's design for us. Remember all the way back 
beginning in Genesis. God designed us to be in relationship with others. Not, not that we might experience pain and hurt, but that we might experience the fullness of the life that God has for us. It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that you have given us a family, brothers and sisters in Christ that we might share our burdens with, not to avoid sharing burdens and not to be crushed by these burdens, Lord, but to stand under these burdens one with another. God, that we might experience life in you, full life in you, God. Lord, we thank you for your gospel that gives us a a right view of who we are. Lord, we ask, God, that you would do away with the the false view of ourselves that we have. Lord, and give us a gospel-centered spirituality, a gospel-centered identity. Lord, knowing that we are wicked but loved by you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that. God, be, be with us as we go from here, Lord. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.